Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. We're going to talk about one of the renewal practices this morning, and the title of the message this morning is Man Shall Not Live by Bread Alone, taken from Matthew chapter 4. Before we do that, why don't we just turn with prayer to God uh, right now. Lord, we want to thank you because when we think back 22 years, oh my, we were a hopeless-looking bunch of 150 people. So many problems. Having experienced three church splits previously, we were a mess. What you've done in our hearts and lives to change us and transform us, how you've shown us, how you've led us by your Spirit, in those years is remarkable. And to sit with such a large group in four different services and praise you as we just finished, we just sense you, your pleasure as we just pour out our hearts in praise and worship. We don't just sing songs to you anymore. We don't play music. We don't perform anymore. We worship you because we're so filled with gratitude and love and joy. We can't hardly contain it at times. This morning was no different. It's because of what you've done for us. It all started at the cross. This big plan you had way back in eternity past, that you would redeem us, and uh, that you would rescue us, that you would offer renewal and transformation. And we've experienced it. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We've tasted it. You really are good. You are amazing. And so we worship you this morning collectively. And now as we look into one of these practices that, has, that you've taught us over the years that has transformed and changed our lives, we just pray that for those of us that this is, this is old ground, that it, would just, that it would just re-energize us and just give us a, f- a further determination and motivation to keep on going that way, despite the stresses of life. And for those that have never entered into this God life, this abundant life, I pray that today would be the turning point, that they would join in this incredible offer of real and abundant life that you offer when we feed on your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many people speak about being burnt out these days. Jethro said something similar to Moses when he said, what you are doing isn't good because you'll wear yourself out. Remember that? Many Christians are discouraged and depressed, and that's immobilizing. Because if you're continually discouraged, you won't be able to properly influence your family for Christ. It's very difficult to do that. In fact, they won't even be attracted to Christ and his kingdom. You won't be praying faith-filled prayers. You can't. It's impossible. And you can't accomplish much for the kingdom. Why? Because you're just hanging on to yourself. Now, before I go any further, I'll give a little illustration here in a minute, but just before I go, when I say something like that, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody. Who of us hasn't experienced this at some point in our life? True? What I'm trying to do is set the table and and get us to think about that condition and then offer hope 
because there's hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm thinking of one, uh, one church renewal pastor has been with us now. He's almost from the beginning. Pastor is a sizable church in, in another uh, province. And uh, he, before he, when he came to church renewal, this is what he said. And he has told numerous pastors this. He tells pastors this all over the place. He said, I was literally hanging by my fingernails, just trying to make it to retirement. And today, he's a completely different pastor. Something has changed, and, but, but he couldn't, you can't, when you're in that kind of condition, when you're just barely hanging on by your fingernails, you're not in a place or a condition where you can, where God can work through you to advance kingdom. Isn't that true? You, you're just barely hanging on yourself. You're just trying to survive, never, never mind trying to help someone else. That's why we're talking about this. So what causes us to feel this? Stresses caused by a broken world. So how can we bear up under the stresses of this life? There's huge stresses in life today, isn't there? And for those of you that are pastors, there's huge stresses in ministry. So how do we bear up under that? Well, it's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, we have a little bit of a biography, uh, autobiography, I should say, by, by the Apostle Paul. And I bet it's a passage that virtually nobody here has ever spent time meditating in. So we're going to read through it, and uh, I'll ask how many of you have meditated on this. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. How, mu- how many of you like that one? How many of you prefer Psalm 23? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do I. Been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. He even says that he came to the point of despair. Now, I'm not saying that if a person ever gets discouraged, uh, that they, they have become sinful. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can't live there. We can't stay there. We must not stay there. And uh, Paul experienced it. He says we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Do you think that's far above, uh, beyond the ability for anyone to endure? I think so. I've never read an autobiography quite this, uh, quite this striking, so that we despaired even of life. And yet, Paul didn't give up or quit. In fact, he thrived to the end. See what he writes to Timothy just before he was about to be martyred. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have what? And I've kept the faith. Now, let's just say, let's stop there for a moment. I have finished the race. He's saying more. He's not just saying that he didn't quit. He's not just saying, I didn't quit. He didn't say, I, you know, I've, uh, I've fought the good fight. I didn't quit. I kept the faith. There's a lot of pastors that haven't quit, for example. That doesn't mean, that's not the same as saying, I have finished the race. There's a huge difference between the two. You and I can occupy 
a certain position or we can, uh, uh, you know, we can be going through the motions of something but not completing what God has actually intended for us to do because doing so would be very, very difficult. But he said, in spite of all of those stresses and pressures, he completed what God had assigned for him to do. That is quite a testimony. Wouldn't you agree? Now, I don't know about you, but I want to learn from the Apostle Paul. How in the world did he do that? What made it possible for him to bear up under such unimaginable stresses and tackle huge assignments and yet not burn out? Let's go to the next chapter to see what he says about that. And he, he begins to talk about it there in chapter 12. Uh, in verses 7, and you, you're familiar with that, he says, to keep me from be, uh, becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a what? Yeah, and, and speak back to me, uh, church. I, I need you to speak back, okay? Say okay. okay. Okay, yeah, that's exactly right. There was given me a what? Thorn, Thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to what? Thorn. It was so bad. I mean, any messenger from Satan is going to be bad. Just ask Job. It was so bad that he, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove it from me, but the Lord said... My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, the first thing he says is that uh, the Lord says to him, here's the answer for hanging in under the kind of stresses and pressures that you were under, Paul, and it was grace. What's the word? Now, that's a big, big word. It's an umbrella kind of word. There's many components to grace. We could talk for weeks on, on aspects of grace. So it tells us something, but it doesn't tell us a lot. We're still left wondering. For my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly so that Christ's power may rest on me. Uh-oh, we're starting to narrow it down a little bit. He said first it was what? It was grace. Now he uses the word power. Okay, we're getting a little closer. We're starting to understand what he's beginning to mean by it. There's, there's some power that undergirds Paul so that he's able to bear up under those severe kinds of pressures. And uh, he says, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am. There's the result. That's how he was able to. So something about this grace, power, makes him strong enough to be able to bear up under those severe stresses and pressures of life. I've never met anybody that's, uh, <laughs> that's gone through so much. Wow. So let's go and find out. I mean, Paul pleads, please, would you take it away? But God, uh, the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take it uh, take it away. We'll come to that in just a minute. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because Paul talks uh, more about it over there. In chapter 4, verse 7, uh, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of what? To show that this all-surpassing power is from uh, God and not from us. Now, this is a metaphor. This is a picture that he's using here. Uh, and he's trying to picture something. He, jars of clay. That's, uh, what are the properties of jars of clay? They are very? Exactly. Many of you said it right there. Fragile. They're very fragile. E easy, easily broken. Easily cracked. You have to be very, very careful with them, right? 
And he's saying these jars of clay represent us because immediately he turns into we, 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 okay? He's talking about that. And he says there's a treasure in these, in these jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, there's that word power again. We saw grace, we saw power. Here it's showing up again. So, so that this all-surpassing power in us, this treasure, whatever it is, that's power, is, uh, it, it's all-surpassing, it's from God and not from us. That, and then he says, and so he gives the results. Not only are we uh, strong, but he shows how it works. We are hard-pressed on all sides, but not? Yeah, we are hard-pressed on all sides, but not? We are perplexed, but not? We are persecuted, but not? We are struck down, but not? We carry around in our bodies uh, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. For, tho uh, for those of us who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Now look at the next verse. So death is at work at us and life is at work in you. In other words... Uh, if, if you think about it, think about it. Back to Second Corinthians chapter 12, the purpose why God didn't take all the circumstances away was what? To keep him from becoming conceited. To keep me from uh, becoming conceited because of these passingly great revelations. Why does it matter if he becomes conceited? Well, that's pride. He, was in he would have been in danger of losing his heavenly reward. I'm not saying about going to heaven. I'm saying about his reward in heaven. Is that true? Yes. Now, is, is it wrong? Let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to pray for your circumstances to change? No, no it's not. Does God often answer our prayers for circumstances to change? Yes or no? Absolutely. He often does. And so Paul did exactly what he had been taught to do. He prayed. He pleaded three times. But in this case, God said, I'm not going to change the circumstances. Rather, I'm going to give you this grace, power, that you can bear up under. In this particular passage, he, uh, he's again pointing to the fact that the circumstances and the pressures and the stresses are not going to be changed. In other words, you're going to have to bear up. There's a treasure in, the, in, the, in these fragile jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power. There it is again. This time he gives us the, the reason for it. And if we, because he says, so death is at work at an, at, in us, but life is at work in you. What's he getting at? Go back to verse 4. If you go back to verse 4, it says, But the God of this age has blinded the minds of? Ah, so that they cannot see what? The light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Is that true? <laughs> Do you find that this world seems to be totally blind to truth? Absolutely. And so God allows in the believer many times circumstances, difficulties, those because we're broken, you know, we're fragile pots. We easily crack. Crack pots we are, amen? Would you agree we're a crack pot? Turn to your neighbor next to you and say, you're a crack pot. <laughs> oh, I just started some marriage feuds. <laughs> All right, well, we'll do a marriage retreat after this. <laughs> but anyway... 
because these because these crackpots, then we can see people look at us if if we're if we've got this strength, this life of Jesus living in us. Oh, there we are, this life of Jesus. So we said grace. Then we said power. Now he's defining it even further as the life of Jesus is in us, and there's a strength. And the people who are blinded by the by Satan, by the devil. They can see Christ in us, giving us unbelievable kinds of strength that we should not be able to handle. That's another reason. I mean, there are other purposes why he allows difficulties in our life. Take, for example, uh, James says in chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. Perseverance is a character trait. Sometimes God allows circumstances in our life because he wants us to grow character. If we grow character, it affects our reward one day, doesn't it? It affects our fruitfulness here and our reward in eternity. So God has reasons for that. So sometimes, a lot of Christians, they've, they've been listening to the wrong, a false gospel out there. There's a false gospel out there that says God never wants you to be unhappy. There's a false gospel there that says God wants to remove all your circumstances. That's completely unbiblical. He's more interested in us being holy than happy. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. But then he gives us the strength to bear up under. Oh, I love God, don't you? He is amazing. He's wise. (laughs) He's really... uh, I I want to show you... Let's go at an, and look at an Old Testament example of somebody that knew how, that, that, that was able to bear up under tremendous stresses. We've looked at Paul. Now let's look at another one, and that's, the, that's Job. And remember how the devil came to uh, meet with the Lord, and the Lord said, have you ever seen anybody so righteous as my, uh, as my son Job? And the devil says, yeah, yeah, that's because you bless him so much. Take away his blessing, and then we'll see what happens. <clears throat> and so God says, okay, go ahead. Take everything, but don't touch him. Don't touch his body. You can't take his life, and you can't touch his body. Okay. And so <clears throat> immediately the devil goes to work, and there are, uh, and there are raiders that come. And uh, Job was uh, one of the wealthiest men on, on, on the planet at the time. He had great herds of camels, donkeys, and had uh, great flocks of sheep and, uh, and goats and all of that kind of stuff. And he was very, very wealthy. And all of them, they were, they're, they're stolen. The servants are, are killed. Reports come into Job. Not only that, uh, <clears throat> the devil inspires a, inspired a storm that killed his seven kids. Now, I, I just want you to stop. It's easy for us to just go over numbers like that really quick. Stop. Just for a second think about this. I've never lost a child. Never. But I know some people in this, in this church who have lost a child, and I see what it does to them. It's very, very burdensome for years. Um, we've even, we even have in our church people who've lost more than one child. Job lost seven, all of them. Can you imagine that kind of grief? Now, I want you to see his response. You'll see grief, but you'll see something else at the same time. Because in Job chapter 1, verse 20 to 20, 22, it says, At this, Job got up, tore his robes, and shaved his head. There's the grief right there. 
And then it says, he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't, I can't, I can't fathom this. Then it says, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, I don't know about you. Have you uh, I've charged God with wrongdoing in my life, and I've had to repent of it. He didn't charge God with wrongdoing. If you have, and you've never repented of that, you need to. You need to. You will never be able to move on if you don't. But in chapter 2, the devil now is furious. He goes back to God, and he says, okay, uh, skin for skin. The reason he has not let me touch his skin, and God says, you can't kill him, but you can touch his skin. So he gets this really bad disease with sores and pus coming out. It's just gross. It's awful. And he's scraping with uh, broken pieces of pottery and stuff, and he's sitting in dust and ashes. You, you can imagine, he can never sleep. He can't, he can't eat. He can't work. He can't do anything. At this point, his wife has had enough. And she said, are you still, in verse 9, are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. And then it says, uh, he, he says to her, are we to accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin by what he said. Is that amazing? And we have these, these much lesser problems, and we sin by what we say. Is it true? And we charge God with wrongdoing because we don't understand his ways and his purposes behind what he's doing. But we need to uh, confess that and deal with that. Is, isn't that true? I think so. So how, how were these people able to survive under such intense and devastating circumstances? And I think Jesus gives us the clearest answer that there is. Um, we've talked about grace. We mentioned the power. We got to life of Jesus. We're getting closer. And I think Jesus just puts it right out there on the table and makes it really plain. And when he came under tremendous pressure and temptation and stress himself, and that's right after his baptism, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness or the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting how many days? 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, you're actually at a danger point at 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, you're, you are heading for very serious problems after 40 days. And uh, it says, then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become what? Bread. Jesus replied, it is written, and now he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there we see, he's led into the wilderness uh, to be tempted after fasting. The tempter says, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus' response is, man shall not live by every... What is Jesus getting at? What's he trying to say there? Many think the lesson here is that Jesus answered this temptation by quoting Scripture. Well, yes and no. Yes, he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, but stop to think about it. 
uh, what did that scripture actually say? Like, what was it actually saying in the context of this te- uh, uh, temptation? Did the Old Testament anywhere say that you're not allowed to turn stones to bread to eat? Is there any, any commandment? Thou shalt not turn stones into bread so that you can eat. Yes or no? No, no there's no such a command. So he couldn't, that's, that's not what he was saying, obviously. Was it immoral to turn stones into bread? No. So the point of what Jesus was saying wasn't that he wasn't allowed to turn stones into bread to eat normally, that this was such a, that was a bad thing, that somewhere in scripture it said that. Jesus was getting at that there was, uh, there's this material side, that's why he said man shall not live by bread alone, uh, when, I'm in, when I'm in Mexico, I read that passage and I always say, man shall not live by tacos alone. I do. And then they translate it and the, the Latinos love me for that. When I was in... <laughs> and because uh, I, I eat whatever, wherever I go. And when I was in Iceland, I don't know if uh, Pastor Oli is in this service or he'll be in the next one, but when I got to that passage, because I, was, I, I used this particular passage, in what I was uh, talking about, and I said, man shall not live by bruth alone. That's Icelandic. Bruth. Can you say that? Yeah, and all of you know how to say tacos. (laughs) But man also has an important immaterial part, the soul, spirit, the inner man. Now, the soul, spirit part of man, the immaterial side, that inner man, is made up of things like the, the mind and the emotions and the will. Is that true? And we all know that if you're filled with joy, tell me some, uh, tell me some, um, some emotions that really make you feel strong. Go ahead, just shout it out. You can do that here in this service. Go ahead. Joy. Somebody said joy. Does that make you feel strong and good? Yeah, absolutely. How about another one? Humor. Humor. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is a good, uh, yeah, it's a part of the joy. Okay, someone else? Love, peace I heard over here. Anyone else? Hope. Look at that. Joy, love, peace, hope. When we have those things, we feel strong and we can take things on. But take those all away from someone and they feel weak. We feel immobilized. We feel paralyzed. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus said, we can't just live by bread alone, but we have to feed that inner man so that we're strong. We must feed it so that it's healthy. But feeding your soul spirit with food meant for the body doesn't work. Now, we all have soul foods we love, right? And we've talked about that here before. Uh, Name some soul foods that you like. Chocolate. Pizza. Fried chicken. What? Progies. <laughs> Tacos. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> and he's, oh my, yeah. Soul food. But feeding your soul or your spirit, your inner man with food meant for the body doesn't work. It works for about three minutes, right? A lot, and that's what our world is doing. You, you feel down, eat something, right? Hey, and it's not just, it's not just food, you know, the kinds of foods that we talked about here, those soul kinds of foods. I'm not saying it's wrong that you have a favorite food, okay? 
But that's how they tried to feed that immaterial side. They do it with other things too, with pleasure. They try to do it with sex, all kinds of things. Sex outside of marriage, that kind of stuff. But it never, it lasts about three minutes and then it's gone. In fact, now you feel worse. Isn't that true? You're feeling really down. You can, you're immobilized or something. So you've just had supper. Now you go and you have, a, you go to the, the refrigerator. Now you eat even more. And now after three minutes, so that three minutes, you just feel really good. And then after that, now you feel awful, physically even. Isn't it true? Because man cannot live by bread and soul, soul food alone. Uh, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus was getting at. He was feeding his immaterial side on something else, and so should we. Jesus then t told them what this soul, spirit, or inner man, is to feed on. What was that food? And it was every word that comes from the mouth of God. There we go. Grace, power, life of Jesus, yeah, here, let's try that again. <laughs> what, was the, what was the big umbrella word? Grace. Then? Power. Then? Grace. And now? Word. Yeah. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what he's saying. Not just God utterances as written down, but every continuing utterance or rhema of God. That's the word used there in the passage Jesus is speaking. Guess, that, guess what Jesus, the Word, is doing right now? Do you know what Jesus, the Word, is doing right now? Did he, what did he, how did he create the world? He, with a word, an utterance, and it came into being. Is that true? How is he sustaining the world right now? With a word. Hebrews 1, 3 says that. He's sustaining it with a word, a rhema. Uh, he's not talking there about the Bible per se. He's not, a, he's not sustaining the world and keeping it going just by, with the Bible. That's not what he's getting at. With utterances that he makes, he keeps the thing going. If he didn't, this world would fall apart. Isn't it true? But I want to say something to you. He not only sustains the worlds with his words, those rhema words, those utterances, he desires to be your sustainer too. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so when his words penetrate into your soul, they will bring not only life, but abundant life. That's what God utterances do. Jesus, the word, is still speaking, and this makes all the difference in the world. So how can Jesus' words possibly give us life, never mind life to the full? Well, they're different kind of words than you and I use. Our words express our wishes and desires and thoughts and that kind of stuff. But Jesus' words carry out those thoughts and wishes because they are living and powerful. He says in John, Jesus said in John 6, 63, my words are life and, I mean, they are spirit and they are, and they are life. They're living. And so his words accomplish what he intends. The Old Testament said that in Isaiah 55. So is my word which goes out from my, which is uttered from my mouth. When it goes out, it accomplishes what? What I desire and achieves the purpose for which I sent it. 
It's a powerful word. In some mysterious way, Jesus abides in the very words that proceed from him so that they accomplish and achieve what he has spoken. And if his words enter us, then as we speak them, they, they too can bring and achieve what God atten- intends them to achieve. I remember when Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm was raging, the disciples went and they shook him in the back of the boat and they said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And what did, what did Jesus do? He got up, he went to the bow of the, the boat, and what did he do? He spoke a word. What was the word? He rebuked the wind and he said, peace, be still. And did the winds obey him? Did the raging storm obey him? With a word. <clears throat> it certainly did. It's incredible. On another occasion, using a word, he offered peace to the souls of the disciples. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And he desires to rebuke the raging seas and bring peace with a word to your inner soul too. Amen. Is that true, church? He wants to do that. That same creative word can, uh, can also put courage in us. The same word that sustains this world. The same word that created the world. The same word that is going to put an end to everything in the last days, according to Revelation. That same word that rebuked the seas. The same word that, that spoke peace into the disciples. That same word gives courage to his, uh, to his saints. Paul had just been arrested in, in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? He went back to Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Rome. He, he got arrested there. They were about to tear him limb from limb and arm from arm. And so the Roman soldiers came and they, they took him away quickly and he was passed along. And uh, do you think, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that the apostle Paul was afraid? Do you think he was fearful during that time? Yes, he was a human being. He was all by himself. There was no team when that happened. There was nobody with him. And then they want to, when, when they arrest him, they want to, uh, uh, you know, they want to give him lashes again and that kind of stuff. He's experienced all kinds of stuff. And here we go again. Do you think he feels fearful? Absolutely he does. And then comes one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts. Uh, it's not my only one, but it is a, it's one that I've often gone back to. Acts 23 verse 11 says, following night the Lord stood with Paul. And what did Jesus speak, speak to Paul in that prison? Take courage. Take courage. And he speaks courage into the apostle Paul. That's incredible when he does that. It's absolutely incredible. Paul couldn't turn his fears into courage, but when Jesus stood near him in prison and spoke a word of courage into his heart, his fears subsided. Now, some, uh, most of us, maybe all of us, we, we can't quite identify with Job and we can't quite identify with Paul, but I think they're fantastic examples to show that if it works there, it should work anywhere. So now let's bring it a little bit closer to where we can experience, uh, where, where we tend to be. Okay. Last Saturday, um, I was feeling just a, a little bit in an overwhelmed state. It wasn't a crisis or anything like that, but um, uh, there's, a, there's a reason why we, uh, I mean, part of the reason why we transferred, aside from Jesus saying, 
uh, transitioned the role of lead pastor. Was, but, the, uh, but a very practical reason is because church renewal is moving so quickly and so fast. It's spreading so quick. I can't keep up with the development. I'm so far behind the curve of where I feel I need to be. I can't keep up with the demands in the development and the writing and in, in the mentoring that's taking place. We've got a fantastic team. But it's, I mean, every time we have a church renewal week, we add some more pastors. We added 70 the last one. My guess is we'll add about 60 this time. Uh, and, I mean, it's happening so far. I went to the office and I was so far behind. I, I, do you ever feel that way where, where sometimes you're not quite e- even sure? You're almost in, in paralysis. Not, 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 not critical, serious, but almost in paralysis because you're not sure where to even start. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, that's how I felt. And it's almost you get locked. And so I, I, I just said, oh, Lord, I, 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 need, I, I need something. And so I, um, I stumbled across a song. I was actually looking for Magnify the Lord that they sang, which is uh, Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I, and I stumbled across... Uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacles version of uh, my help. My help comes from the Lord. And the minute it started to play, uh, t- that's taken from Psalm 121. As, as soon as it began to play, I started to weep, and I wept through the whole song. I took my cursor and just put it at the beginning, and then I cried all the way through the second time. Then I took my cursor, put it on the start, and I cried all the way through the third time. And the fourth time, and the fifth time. And at that point, I said, I've got to close the curtains and lock my door so nobody walks in and sees us. The music, the volume was up loud. And I don't know the exact number of times I played it, but I can use a conservative number. And the conservative number would be 25 times. And during that time, something completely changed in me. It's Psalm 121, you know. Uh, I, in fact, then I p- put it on pause, and I had memorized the chapter a long time ago, and, and so I just refreshed it in my heart. It took me a little while to get it back. But this is how it goes. Where, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord watches over you. Some of you are whispering this with me because you know it. The Lord is your shade on the right hand. He will not let the sun smite you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will will watch over your life. He will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. And... I memorized it, and then I started playing it again. And I kept playing it, and playing it, and playing it. I played, and worshipped, and memorized, and meditated, and ate Psalm 121. And as I did, God's Spirit just completely refreshed me and strengthened. I had so much joy, so much hope, so much peace. I felt so loved, I was walking around with arms out, and that's why I had to have the curtains uh, closed, tears streaming down my face, and I was telling God I just loved him so terribly much. I said, Lord, I just love you so much. 
I just had so much hope and so much joy. I felt so strong. And it was finally noon hour. I'd lost five hours. Now I was even further behind than I was before. <laughs> but now it didn't matter anymore. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I mean, we were worshiping here before to Psalm 34, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, I was feeding on those words. I got out my Bible, and I went to Psalm 34, and I was pointing to my wife. Look, 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 look at the verses there, singing. And then I was weeping as I was sitting there. I said, look what they're... And then it says, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is. Taste. Eat his words, and they feed you. It's remarkable. He never intended for you to work up encouragement or to find it in something or someone else. Jesus, the word, wants to be your courage. He wants to be your joy, your hope, your love, your peace by speaking his living word into you. And often he wishes to calm the raging circumstances with a word too. But his words are your food. They are power-packed with him to give life, and hope, and joy, and peace, and love and understanding to your troubled soul whether he changes the circumstances or not, and that's life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the... He didn't mean by that that he was coming to give you all or change all your circumstances. That's not what that passage is saying. True? This, my friends, is not heaven. This is earth. We are going to heaven. Amen? Amen? He's not going to change all your circumstances here, but he will give you life if you feed on his utterances. Amen. Oh, that's amazing. You know, have you ever, ever noticed the paradoxes in Scripture? Matthew 16, uh, verse 24 says, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and... Take up his cross. Does that sound like great circumstances? Yes or no? And denying yourself. Does that sound like great circumstances? No, it doesn't sound like great circumstances at all. Yet, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Wait a minute. He says, deny yourself, deny yourself and take up your cross. And here he says, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. That sounds like a contradiction to me. It isn't a contradiction. He's saying that when we take up our cross, and even when the circumstances are, are very, very difficult, when you are strong in him because you fed on his words in his presence, then the burden seems light and the yoke seems easy, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at. Nehemiah said in the Old Testament, we have something similar. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We all know that. And when the soul, spirit, inner man is fed, it becomes strong. See what Jesus says about the person who doesn't feed their souls. Remember in, in John chapter 15, 5, Jesus said, uh, um, if, if you uh, remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says, verse 6, if anyone doesn't remain in me, that, he's talking about the exact same thing there, abiding, remaining, feeding. He is like a branch that is what? 
thrown out and withers. In the Old Testament, we see that same word. If you take Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit, uh, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. There it is, law of the Lord. He's meditating on it. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He's talking about feeding, remaining, abiding, meditating, feeding. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. True? Look, look, at, the, look at the feed. Look, look what he's saying. It's drawing water, sustenance, food, nutrients. And it doesn't wither in spite of the desert-like conditions. That's the picture he's giving. So, the law of the Lord is perfect, Psalm 19:7. Doing what? Reviving the soul, that soul spirit. See, there it is, feeding on that. What is the best way to meditate? Memorize. Memorize. Deuteronomy 30, verse 14 says, the word is very near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. What does mouth have to do with anything unless you're memorizing? Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. You see, see that? And then one of the church renewal pastors pointed out to me the other day and said, do you know what the word meditate actually means in Strong's? And I, and I looked at it. And I wrote it down here. It means, let's see if I can find it here, to moan, growl, utter, or speak. Murmur. When they were murmuring God's word, when, that day and night, when they went to sleep, they were murmuring God's word. When they got up, they were murmuring God's word. They were murmuring it. They were speaking it. They were memorizing. They were reciting it. And as they were doing that, God takes that Logos written word and he was transforming it into food for their souls that strengthened them. That inner man, that soul, that spirit. Is that amazing, church? So meditation is not silent. When we murmur his word, he turns it into food and then we can bear up under tremendous stresses. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to the statement because I'm, I'm, just, um, I'm wrapping up now. Listen to the statement. We can weather rather than wither in life's storms. If we feed on God's word, that was the secret. That was the secret to Job's life. That was the secret to Paul's life. That was the secret to Jesus' life. That was the secret. They were not just feeding on bread for the material body. They were feeding the soul, spirit, side, and that made them strong. Amen? For when I am weak in my body, then I am strong in my soul. Paul prayed for his problems to go away, for his circumstance to change, but Paul, God had another problem, he, uh, another plan. He didn't remove God's problems, Paul's problems. 
What if God determines that your problems are best for you, for others, and for his kingdom interest to allow you to go through a lengthy challenge? Fran and I, I mean, nothing like, like, like what we've read, but we went through a 12-year period, two teens away from the Lord, uh, 10 neurosurgeries, uh, complete financial collapse, all the while while trying to get a, chur a, a, a church that was in trouble going. That's a 12-year span. How do you survive when, when it's one year or five years or 10 years or 15 years or maybe a lifetime? Some of you, it's for the rest of your life. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you survive? This is the only way we can survive. You will need to grow, and we, we all need to grow in feeding on his powerful words spoken by him into our soul spirit, and that's the only way we can survive. Here's the weekly challenge. Identify a challenge in your... How many of you have a challenge in your life right now? Yeah, we all do. Then attend the prayer summit tonight, or join in live streaming if you... If, 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 you know, maybe your spouse is coming because you've got kids and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. Joining the live streaming, or maybe you've just never done this before and you're just a little afraid. You've never been to a purse summit. You can do that. And I'm going to take you through an exercise on this tonight. We're going to do it. And then I want to encourage you to start memorizing Psalm 121. You say, I've never memorized anything before. I'm really, I'm really thrilled. Uh, Pastor Chris has been doing it with the church over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they take a verse and they memorize it right in the service. I love that. And... Um, but anyway, you, you, if you've never done this before, then just memorize Psalm 121, 1 and 2, and it's simple. I will lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's it. For those of you that have been memorizing more, you'll find that that psalm is very, very easy to memorize, and you'll be able to memorize the whole thing quite quickly. And you can feed on that. And as you do, as I was doing, this is how you feed on it. I was feeding on it, and I began to thank the Lord for all the times in the past he had been my help. I didn't just say, Lord, thank you for all the times you've been my helper in the past. No, no, that's not how you meditate. I said, Lord, thank you how you were my help, helper. And then I started, I started back at the beginning of my life, and I started to take events. And as I went, and I was thanking him for every single one of them, how he'd helped me in this and this, and then right up to, and including right through Southland and all the challenges there, and on and on, I thanked him. I just started to weep. <laughs> and then he said to me, Ray, and I'm going to be your help going forward in church renewal. I'm going to be your help right to the end. Do you think that I felt strong after that? Amen. Yeah, I felt strong. Lord, thank you for your word that it nourishes us. I pray that each one of us would grow in this. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never fed on your word right now, I ask that you would move in their hearts, that they would begin to feed on you. If they have not received you as your Savior, then they would begin there. Say, Lord, I want you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And then begin this life this journey of in the abundant life. For in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.